week. Let's have smiles on Monday, no trouble for Tuesday, wisdom on Wednesday, that's wisdom on Wednesday. Thankfulness on Thursday, serenity on Saturday, and a beautiful Sunday.
glad to have another opportunity to meet together, especially at this time of the year where we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We know that there is a mix of opinion as to the exact time of the year that Christ was born. Uh, I am one of the ones who, not, who do not believe that Christ's birthday was in December. But there is a deep spiritual significance of the month of December to the birth of Christ, spiritually speaking. We don't argue the point, we just try to present what the scripture says. And we beg that you study what you are taught to see whether or not the reporter is accurate with the scripture or whether or not he is putting over another theory. We had gone into, let's see, we get hooked up in the back. Uh, are we up? Yes. We are? Yes. Okay, good. We had gone into a series of messages where the focus was on 1 Peter 1 and 11. And that was concerning glory that was to follow the suffering of Christ. That's where we were studying when we ran into this time of the year. We have taken a side road to try to make the connections. Sometimes when we do that, it can appear to be confusing. So we're trying as hard as we can to keep it as plain as possible where you can see the possible connection that I am trying to present. We know that the whole Bible, no matter what the subject is, Jesus said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It's written to me. So everything between the binders have something to do with our getting to know and understand uh, God's Word just a little bit better. Now concerning uh, what we went to, this scripture that we have on the board, um, on the screen, concerning what we normally camp out this time of the year, concerning the birth of Christ, uh, reading uh, Luke 1 and 35 that says and the angel answered and said unto her the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. We point it back to that holy thing. You lost my mic. You lost my mic. We point it back to that holy thing as being that which is spoken of in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Turn me down just a little bit. Got a ring. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It points to what God described as her seed. God was talking to Satan after the fall had occurred, after the sin had been committed. 
God was talking to Satan in, in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. And he said to Satan, he said, I will put enmity between thy seed, Satan's seed, which is pointed to Satan out of very important, Satan having a seed, and her seed. Her seed point to Jesus because we know, uh, we you lost me again here on the mic. Turn me up to a little bit, a little bit. A little bit testing, testing. You lost me a little bit. I can tell. Come on up just a little bit. Come on up. Okay, good, good. Right there, good, right there. Her seed point to Jesus because we know a woman do not have a seed. When it, as it pertains to childbearing, the seed is from the male. So to say her seed is pointing to something that does not exist in this three-dimensional world that we live in. Her seed would be a seed that would be placed in her. And that seed is what's talked about in this verse. The divine seed of God that is labeled as the Word of God, even having Christ in us by faith in the New Testament. Another way of describing that of Christ in us by faith is having the Word in us. And the Word is equated to the seed. One of these days we'll go back into that parable concerning the different ground. And the seed fell on some, fell on the wayside, some fell on stony ground, some fell on uh, good ground. It's pointing to the way we accept the seed, the word, if it take root in us and begin to grow, it first changes our way of thinking. That's when we begin striving to fight against the flesh and fight toward the Word of God that is on the inside. In the end, that seed that is in every one of us will materialize to the point where we will be like Him, just like in Mary. See, God is teaching us about ourselves. Just like God put His seed in Mary, and that seed developed into a person, Jesus Christ. The Word of God is the divine seed. The Word of God is Jesus. So the Word of God in us is Christ in us. Starting off as a seed, and it takes roots and we grow. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 point to us as babes in Christ. We start off as babies. God is using comparisons. That's one of the unique things that we're trying to show concerning God in relationship to Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. We keep going there. That says the invisible things of him from the creation are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. The word made is the same as our word arranged, the way God arranged things to show the proof of of God in everything, 
even though it doesn't look that way when we first see it. But as we continue to study God's word, we begin to see God in everything, in the creation, in the heavens, all pointing to Jesus. And one of the reasons that we are to concentrate in his word is because we gain spiritual vision. We don't see things the way we once saw them. The things that were so valuable to us at one time, especially when we were young and wild and foolish, and we thought those were the things of value. But now we will trade the highest values on this planet in order to get the ones in heaven. We see a total, totally different reality viewing it through God's word. So just as this happened to Mary spiritually, it have happened to every one of us who come under the category of being born again. Being born. How do, we, how, how do birth take place? A seed is planted. Jesus is our example in more than uh, morality. Most times we talk about Jesus as the example to try to live like Christ. We, we always talk about, you know, don't drink, don't gamble, don't curse. That, that's fine. We're not supposed to do that. But Jesus is our example in every way. Even him coming from another world and coming to this planet. This planet was not his home. The Bible said the same thing about us. Those of us who have been born again, we know it. we did not make the first move. John 6, 44 says, Jesus says, no, no one can come to me except he's drawn by the Father that sent me. So God chose Christians, persons who have faith in Jesus Christ have been chosen so that that Wisdom can become part of us. In other words, as I always point back to Ephesians 1 and 4, where it tells us before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in him. We weren't here. We are pilgrims. When I was growing up, there used to be a song that they played on the radio. My grandmama would listen to it. I wasn't paying no attention then because back then, Troy, Alabama, a little boy in the 50s, and during the daytime, it was rare to hear any black music anyway. Most of what you heard was, even if it was dealing with church, it was country and westerns or white churches. So that, me being young, I didn't want to hear nothing like that. But they would be singing this song about, I'm just a pilgrim and a stranger. I think it was Tennessee Ernie Fold, I believe that's what his name was. I'm just a pilgrim, shaboom, and a stranger, shaboom, traveling through. I remember it from a little boy. Now I see the reality. We are pilgrims and strangers on this planet. We are looking to go home one day. That's what we are even though it's hard for us to accept it when it comes. But that's the reality that we are working toward is going home one day. So having tried to make that comparison 
of our being born again, being taught to us through the example that God chose to teach us through by having Jesus born on this planet from the divine seed that is called that holy thing. That's the divine seed of that verse. We're developing to Jesus. We're going to go on into the sermon hoping we can tie it in to this time of the year. We have seen the key factors of a deeper understanding of this season of the year in its significance to the uh, to the um, fulfillment especially I'm sorry its significance to the firmament firmaments the heavens especially the star and the intent assurance to the remaining wife Aholabah slash Jerusalem that God was with them. Here's what I'm saying. Through our series of messages so far concerning the Christmas season, we have looked at when God first start making a, when God first start preparing the world for the then coming of Jesus before he ever created man on the planet in Genesis chapter 1 right around I believe it's verse 18 it's right around verse 18 in Genesis chapter 1 God put the firmaments in the heavens and the stars and he said and the moon and the sun and he said they were for seasons for day and night and for signs what he put up there first of all it taught us the difference between day and night it teaches us the different seasons and they are for signs the purpose of a sign is a message we read it coming from there concerning the promise God made of the then coming one Jesus who we appointed to as that holy thing that was placed in Mary, the divine seed, he put a sign in the heavens of a star. So first we see the consistency. One of the, one of the things that, that proves to us that you can trust what God says. If he says it, it's going to come true. It's when he, through a gift ministry, enable us to see from past, present, and future, we see the consistency of he, before man was, before Adam was ever created and the fall took place. God was saying he was going to put a sign knowing what was going to happen. Now, we have to pay close attention. It doesn't, it's not that something is new but a deeper version of the same thing it's almost when we let's compare it to math if we start out with one plus one is two and two plus two is four a deeper version of that same subject is whatever the word is which I'm not educated enough to know what the word is that describe the math that figure out the formula to send a 
a missile from the planet Earth all the way to Mars, or we'll say the moon, all the way to the moon, land, bring it back home. That's math that does that. But it started out with one plus one is two. So we get starting in, in the first grade with one plus one is two, and then when we get to college, we get a deeper version of math. And we feel like what we, run, what we learned in the first grade is no good. We're messing up. One plus one is two still has to be a part of us as we get deeper and deeper in the same subject. It's the same thing with God's word. It's not to say that somebody said something 50 years ago it was wrong. It's just we are, we are living 50 years later. Knowledge have increased in every way, not only just in science and math, but as pertaining to God's word. So it's a deeper subject, a deeper view of the same subject that we have to keep in mind. So keeping that in mind as we go along, we're pointing now to the context. The first context that we went into last week, I had, I read a, I had read a statement concerning the firmaments. I hope I explained that in Genesis chapter 1. Well, God put the firmaments, that's all that up, up there. He put all that up there, and he gave reasons. He said for, uh, for days and for nights, for seasons and for signs. And then we come down to when man would need a Savior. After the fall in the garden, God made a promise, same verse, Genesis 3.15. Her seed would bruise the head of the serpent. The serpent is Satan. The serpent would fight because it said the serpent would, the, the serpent's seed would bruise the heel of the woman's seed. The bruising of the heel of the woman's seed was Calvary. And we know a snake on the ground, that's why he's going to strike. So he struck. But as we've already went through, the series, and you'll notice on on the uh, on YouTube, we leave in two and three sermons up there during this time of the year, so you can compare them again. Again, what's important is the accuracy of the scripture, and so seeing that the enemy, First uh, Corinthians chapter two and verse uh, verse eight says that if the princes of this world had known, they would have never crucified Jesus. If they had known the wisdom of God, if that serpent had known the wisdom of God, he would have never struck Jesus on the heel. Because by striking Jesus on the heel, it put him to death. But that's the way he would save us. The logic of this world your Savior do not die to save you. The Savior killed the enemy. But the wisdom, the hidden wisdom of God, same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6, the same chapter, Paul said, we preach wisdom, but not the wisdom of this world. It's a different way of thinking. So where the enemy was looking for the Savior to come, and destroy him, he fought back and he struck the Savior on the hill. We know that Jesus said, no man take my life, I lay it down. But the serpent didn't know that. 
So by killing Jesus, by striking the, the, the Savior on the hill, put him to death. And what do we, all of us say? He died for our sins. Satan didn't know that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, if he had known it, he wouldn't have never crucified Jesus. He probably would have got an army together and protected him because he didn't want us to be saved. That's why he came into God to damn us through disobeying God's word through evil. So coming from that, we see it's a warfare. Keep that in mind as we go forth. I know it's not the normal Christian messages. No, I shouldn't say Christian. I was trying to say Christmas. It's not the normal Christmas message. But if we hear what God's word is saying, again, Lord, I come in the volume of the book, it's written to me. It will tie in. So as we go forward, having seen the, the key factor of a deeper understanding of this season of the year and in its significance to the firmaments, especially the stars, and the intended assurance to the remaining wife of Holabah. What are we saying? We know that God, the chosen people of God of the Old Testament was the nation of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 23, first four verses point to the nation of Israel when they was in Egypt. And it described the nation of Israel when they was in Egypt as two sisters. Even though it looked like one group. But actually God said there were two. That's Ezekiel 23. Look at it in your Bible. One through four. One of the sisters name was Aholah. And the scripture said Aholah was Samaria. And the other sister name was Aholabah. And Aholabah was Jerusalem. The reason for those two places is when the nation of Israel divided into two different kingdoms, ten tribes went to the north and made their capital Samaria. That's Aholah. The two stayed in the south, their capital Jerusalem. That's Aholabah. We've learned that and then God equated those two sisters as being his wives. In Ezekiel 23, 1 through 4, he said they were mine. And then we look at Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 32. God said, I was a husband unto them. Because he's putting us on a line of thinking that we know of. We, we understand marriage and and kids and stuff like that. So God start where we are, and then he elevate our level of thinking of higher and higher, dependent on our faithfulness to hearing his word. That's one of the importance of attending church. Even though Satan, he, he going to try to mess up everything God put out. So he's going to have everybody think that it's the preacher campaigning, he just want a big crowd so he can raise more money where he can get a big paycheck. And, and we buy it. And so we say, I ain't going out there to get a preacher all my money. Yet we say we believe that we are God's children. This earth is not our home. 
The only way we can get back home is through the Word, the Word being Jesus. But we fall for the strategy of the enemy. And we cut ourselves, we cheat ourselves because we're listening. And I'm not to listen. There's good and bad and everything. Even in heaven where God is, Lucifer was there. As Paul said, whenever I desire to do good, Eve is near. There's never a place where you're going to have all good. Whatever it is, whether it's church, family, school, there's going to be a balance of good and evil. That's why we can't relax. So we have to know that we're in a spiritual warfare. And I agree that, and I was one of the ones, I... The things I, I could write a movie on the things I used to say against preachers in the church. Because that's what I, I fell for that same junk myself. Even though raised up in church as a child. As soon as I got away from home, I got away from church. None of us would be where we are now if God had not made the first move. Again, Jesus say, none can come to me except he's drawn by the Father that sent me, and I'll raise him up in the last day. And we're looking at the proof that is offered that you can trust God's Word. When you think about it, the things that would appears to us that you got to give up to be a Christian, we say, well, dog, you can't have no fun. And suppose we give up everything and then find out it wasn't true. <laughs> They'll have to get another name for hell. <laughs> so God offered the proof to his people, but the system that he set up that enable us to see that proof is church through a gift ministry that he chooses. And that's what all preachers, in my opinion, is trying to do. And I'm not saying all of us is right. I'm putting me in the group. So I don't want you to look at me no different than anybody else. What I want you to do, what I challenge you to do, is hear what's being said and go. You got a copy of God's word. And First, Second Timothy two fifteen, Paul told Timothy, you got to rightly divide God's word. So God's word has to be rightly divided. Reading it from front to real, that's all right, but you're not going to get the message that way. The pieces of the puzzle have to be put together, and that's what we're trying to do from another angle of attack concerning Christmas this year. So we're going to the context. We had this verse the last two sermons. The context. Context is important. If I'm trying to explain a scripture about cooking and I go to another scripture that's talking about war and I put them together, that's out of context. They don't fit. All scriptures out of context is in error. We all make errors. But just because we make errors, we can't change the rules. All scriptures out of context is in error. What was happening here? And as we 
again as we go to look at what was happening to make this verse Isaiah seven fourteen to to make God give us this verse. Let's look at what was happening when Jesus came, because it's talking about God with us, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. At that time, the two nations or the two kingdoms of Israel, they had divided, but God had not divorced. We know God wrote a divorcement. We just equated the two sisters to his wives, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 32. I was a husband unto them. There came a time where God in Jeremiah 3 and 8 wrote a bill of divorcement to one of them, the northern ten tribes. But at this time of Isaiah 7 and 14, they were still the wives of Jehovah. Not wife the way we look at marriage, but one wolf. The reason why the Bible, the first message that we are taught in the scripture is concerning marriage. Adam and Eve. When God separated her from Adam, he brought her back and performed a wedding ceremony. Adam said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the first thing we're taught in the Bible. Because it's pointing to God's intent toward us who were in him before the foundation of the world. But through his reasoning, we were made subject to vanity. Just like Jesus was in the beginning with God, was God. But through God's reasoning, Jesus was made flesh. He was made subject to vanity. He just did not submit. We was made subject to vanity and we failed. But it was all part of the spiritual military strategy of God to defeat Satan. So that's part Romans 8 and 20. That's why I keep pointing those verses. Please study them. Romans 8 and 20 says the creature, that's us, was made subject to vanity. Not willingly. We didn't have nothing to do with it. But by reason of him who subject us to hope who bring us, Christ is our hope. We can't come to Jesus unless God subject us or bring us or draw us. And so we are on, it's like a, a tour of duty. We're in God's army. We're soldiers in his army. He said, put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. The sword is the word. The shield of faith. We, spiritually, we are being told, just like being in the military, that we've been sent on a tour of duty. And it's very important that we do not forget home. And I know when I was in Nome, that was one thing you always thought about. Can't wait for my tour of duty to be over so I can go back home. That's the same type thinking we have to have on this planet. When our time is up, as God tell us, it is appointed unto every man once to die. That's an appointment. We didn't make the appointment. He did. We got a set time. And when that time, uh, that's one appointment we will not be late for. We're going to be on time when our time is up. 
But we want to make sure that when our time is up, the rewards that we get for being faithful and not just giving up, getting suckered in by the enemy. So we have to fight, but let's keep going. What was going on here? The northern ten tribe kingdom. Now you know they they broke up. The ten tribe went to the north. Eventually they teamed up with Syria. So the ten tribes and Syria teamed up together to wipe out the southern kingdom that we call the Jews. Again, that hatred there. I'm not trying to preach the news, but I'm trying to show a deeper root for what we call anti-Semitism. All through the Bible, that hatred has been there to wipe out the Jews. And we'll get to the reason if it's God's will as we continue to study. But we got to take it step by step. The ten tribes uh, teamed up with Syria to wipe out the southern kingdom of the Jews. The king of the southern kingdom at that time, his name was Ahaz. And he knew there was no way he could defeat the enemy. And so he goes, God tell him, say, look, you, you don't have to worry. You're mine. I'm, I'm with you. And if I'm with you, I'm saying that's better than the whole world against you. But to, 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 to assure you, that I'm with you. I'll tell you what. You ask me for any sign. God didn't put no limit on it. I believe if Ahad has said, God, I want the moon to tap dance around the sun, God would have made it happen. Because he said, ask anything you want to ask. And I'll do it to prove to you I'm with you. I know it don't look like it. Well. I know when you look at things, that the whole ten tribes and then Syria too, there's no way. But I'm telling you, I'm giving you my word, just like with us. It don't look like it all the time. But I'm giving you my word. I'm with you. I'll never leave nor forsake you. But it ain't going to look like it. That's, that's what we get it from the Bible. It teaches us this way of thinking. Ahaz refused to ask for a sign. He, said, he, he put it on him being... <coughs> righteous or religious. He said, I ain't going to have no sign. God said, well, I'm going to give you one anyway. And look at the sign that he gave. Something that was totally impossible to happen on this planet. So if it happened, you know it had to be God. He said, a virgin going to have a baby. <laughs> I can imagine if I had been... Ahaz, and God said that to me, I'd have did like Abraham and Sarah. When God told Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a son, both Abraham 100 years old and Sarah 90. They, they fell, the Bible said they fell on their face laughing. That wasn't a world, a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. Impossible. God said, what he does, nothing is impossible. The sign I'm going to give you. Now, here's what we have to understand as well. When we are talking about God, it's a different time frame. 
When the Bible tells us that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, it's reminded us that as we study God's Word, the way we hear what He is saying is like this is going to happen tomorrow, or this is going to like in this verse here. Nine months from now, it was going to happen. It didn't. It was over 600 years before Jesus was. After this verse, in the time that Jesus was born, over 600 years had passed. So if we don't understand when God said, wait a minute now, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. If we forget that, we'll start saying, shoot, I've been waiting 10 years, ain't nothing happened yet. He must ain't going to do it. Well, we're going by our time. See, the Bible said, be ye therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. You cannot hear what God is saying using logical thinking. We have to allow our mind to be transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit that comes in us by faith, and faith comes by hearing the Word. So we think we can understand God, and we never study. We don't go to church but one time a year, and I'm ready. I know the Lord. Oh, yeah? Not according to his rules. Now, I write the book. That's why I say check out whether you hear or whatever church you want to go to. Why should you trust another human being in what they say? We have a copy of God's Word. Someone says something concerning God's Word, we go and study it. And now we have a time period that can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. A blessing in that we have it on the internet and you can go back and look at it, the website, look at it, oh, look at it, look at it. But at the same time, if we take that to keep us from assembling ourselves together, it become a curse. Because there is a deep spiritual reason for God telling us, fail not the assembling of yourselves together. So let's keep going. So what happened concerning Isaiah 7 and 14, and as it pertained to the danger that they was facing at that time, a young lady who was a virgin got married and had a child and named that child Emmanuel. That wasn't Jesus. Keep in mind the method that God taught us as pertaining to one of the ways he revealed his truths to us that is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. Shadow and substance. The shadow is not detailed. You see the outline of a shadow. If, 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 the sun, if the light is hitting me right, it'll cast a shadow. You can't tell who I am by looking at that shadow. You know it's something there. You see the outline, but you don't see the details. You don't see the color of the skin, the eyes, nothing. You just see the shadow. God teaches us that way first. Our understanding is in a shadow form. Old Testament, shadow. Example, Jesus Old Testament in the shadow form was a lamb that was being put on the altar and sacrificed. Depending on the sacrifice, whether it was uh, 
the, the lamb, the ram, the goat, the pigeon, all of these were shadows of the one sacrifice that would come, which was Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus is called the lamb of God, because the first time he came, he came to die. A lamb can't fight. So he'll come to Savior as a lamb. It's just like a, a, another version of that type of thinking where we would be disappointed. We got in our mind, well, Savior, a big conqueror coming in like Hercules and all of that. And here comes Jesus riding in on a donkey. The people say, we're looking for a we, At least he could be on a white horse and the horse stepping high. Big conqueror. Here comes Jesus coming in on a donkey. Who in the world can he save? God doesn't do things the way we think he ought to do it. We got to first pick up on that. If we don't, we're going to miss what this is saying. I said, we. Everything starts. With, I, before I say it to you, I'm saying it to me. We. We got to stay in this book. It's hard to do. And everything is going to be geared toward causing us to put less value. In here. Oh, I've been going through my life. I heard, I, I heard that 15 times. When we think of if, and I heard one person say one time that the very best we can do in describing God is still sin. No matter what big words we come up with to describe God, we, our words come so far short of what he is until it looks like a sin. If we say God is love, yeah, but his word love and our word love, it's like in, in two different dimensions. So again, our, we trust in him having mercy on us, even at our very best, if God didn't have mercy on us and take pity on us, none of us would make it. And our very, he tells us, at the very best you can do, it's like a filthy rag. He's so far above anything we can reach. That's why it's a mystery to, to understand the type love that God, who got all power, can do anything, if he wanted some more people, perfect people, he could have said, let it be. And there would have been perfect folks. But to so love us, I'm going to put it personally. You put it personally. We say to so love me that he would go through what he went through for me to have another chance. That's almost beyond belief. He can't hardly believe it. That's why it's necessary that we continue allowing him to show us proof from his word. We look at not just what he said, but we look at what he said. He's talking about past, present, and future. This book here starts in the beginning God created, way, way, way back then. And it ends with a brand new heaven and a new earth in one book. So we can study and we can look at what have happened and we see what God said. Well, this was for it to happen and we look back in history. We say, doggone if it didn't happen. Just like, it, that's what keeps convincing us. We first start out with a feeling. We first start out, I know he's real because I can feel him in my soul. That's, ain't nothing wrong with that, good. 
But as we continue to grow, our testimony is I know he's real because I have examined the evidence. I examined what he said, and it happened. And it's still happening. And that's what convinced us to tighten up a little bit more because he done told us that there's a judgment coming. And we better, as the old folks used to say, you better get your house in order. Because we don't know when that appointment is coming. And when that, when that day comes, we can't say, Lord, could I have five more minutes? No. Nope. Your time is up. So let's, let's keep going. After uh, explaining that, we, we did again last week. Because of the persuasive power of the enemy infiltrating into the religious and ruling ranks of the southern kingdom. In other words, because of Satan's persuasive power. First example we see of Eve. She knew what God had said. Don't eat that fruit. The day you eat that fruit, you will die. Satan says, did God tell you that? God lying. You won't die. You'll be as God's. That's the first example we have of Satan's power to persuade us to go against what we know is right. We'll go against it because our mind will say, well, I ain't going hurt one more time. We've got to be aware of the reality of the enemy. So look, because of that, we're going to take us to our next verse. And we're talking about what the people, the focus of the group that we're talking about now are the Jews. Because in the context, they were the one that was being victimized. They were the one that were to be destroyed by the ten tribes and Syria. And they asked, and, uh, and God told, them, told the king, said, now, I'm with you, and I'll give you a sign, since you won't ask for one. He didn't ask, the king didn't ask for a sign, but what the king did, he went to the powers of the world. In order, let's take the word salvation. In order for him, the southern kingdom, that he represented to be saved from Syria and the ten tribes, he went and tried to make a deal with the old Assyrian empire. So that's spiritual, that's, that's saying, instead of us accepting God's word to be saved, we would, the devil would try to show us another way to do it, like he did in the garden. He's going to take you a bite. You don't take all that. It's the same pattern. It doesn't change all through the Bible. The accuracy of God's word all through the Bible, keeping in mind that the Bible is covering time frame from in the beginning to a new beginning and we in the middle same enemy same strategy he whispered to us that God say that if you eat that fruit you're going to die I'm telling you you will not go and take your bite you'll be as God's God is cheating you you can't have no fun he, he don't want you to be happy Ain't nothing wrong with a little of this. Didn't God say he have mercy on you? Go on, hey, trust him. Go and do what you want to do and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. That's the end. Hey, listen, again, I'm talking to me. When you come here, you're hearing a preacher preach to himself 
And if it's something to say that you pick up on, you take it. But I'm telling you, I need it more than you do. Because what much is given, much is required. And I claim that God gave me a good ministry, called me into the ministry. You ain't claim that. If that's true, then much more is required, especially as it comes down to the decisions we make or I make or persons make. Well, much is given, much is required as it pertains to a Christian versus a non-Christian. We've heard God's word, and it is expected of us to be more straighter toward God's word than the person who hadn't heard it. That's the same thing. Well, much is given, much is required. So what happened? Coming to our next verse. The Jews. I said, because of the persuasive power of the enemy. The enemy being Satan. Being able to persuade the leaders, political or governmental leaders, Ahaz. He was the king. And the religious leaders. In the New Testament, they are described as Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. Persons who had made it to the top of the religious ranking among God's people. It'd be the same thing as me claiming to be a preacher and is not a preacher, but a false preacher. But what I'm really at is a paycheck and prestige and have persuaded people that I'm a preacher. And because of that, I have corrupted minds in order to get what I want. By the same token, looking at it from a bigger picture, let's say, for example, uh, when David was a king, I mean, David's kingdom that God said would never end because it's actually the kingdom of Christ. David sat on Christ's throne. But David is equated spiritually as Christ's father. Jesus is called the son of David. And the question was asked, how can you be the son of David when you were before David? Again, logically, this stuff don't make sense. We have to study enough until God arrange our mind, what is called transform our mind, till we can start seeing the reality the way he said it. We, we, W-E, not you all, but we, starting with me. So as a result of being persuaded by the enemy from the top, that's one of the reasons why God tells us to pray for those in charge of us. You, don't, you may not like the political leaders, whoever is in the White House or whoever is in Congress or whatever, but their decision affects our lives. So we pray that God will not allow the evil decisions that's going to affect us. We pray for them. That don't mean you're in love with them. Pray for your pastor. Not because you think he all of that, but if you... If you're going to sit there and try to take advice, pray that God speak to you Amen. through him or whatever way he chooses. That's why we pray for our leaders. I pray for leaders all the time. But if you ask me personally what I think about them, <laughs> it don't come nowhere close to no prayer. 
But we, it's a different dimension that God is teaching us concerning reality. So what happened? When Ahaz refused to ask for a sign, and he went to the Assyrians in order to be saved. When I say in order to be saved, I ain't saying spiritually to be saved from the enemy, to be saved from the ten tribes and Syria. Ahaz, who was the king of the southern kingdom, went to Assyria, the Assyrian Empire, and asked them to save us from the enemy. That was the same as this verse. They refused the waters of Shiloh. Now we have stud- we know in the scripture that God's word is equated many times to water. In Ephesians, I believe Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, it says, we are cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. So in order for us to stand before God clean, we got to have been bathed in his word. That's equated to water. Again, we are cleansed. Look at it. We are cleansed. 5 and 26 Ephesians. We are cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. So the word cleanses us. Say, oh, you really? Well, again, let's look at the word. What or who is the word? Jesus is the word. He cleanses us. But it's different language. We, that's why the pieces have to be put together. It's talking about God, Jesus not only saves us, but he cleanses us. So when we stand before God, we're standing without a spot or a blemish. Because we've been washed. If you say, well, I thought we were washed in the blood. Well, what, did, what do the Bible teach us that the blood is? The blood is the life. Leviticus 17 and 11. The life is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar for an atonement for your sins. So we are covered with the blood, which is the same as covered with the life. If you don't think that the life is in the blood, get rid of all your blood. And see, are you still alive? Well, Jesus shed his life. He shed his blood so we could be covered. So when God looked at us, he see the life of Christ. If he looked at us individually without being covered with the blood, same thing as what the Bible called atonement, you tell me what you think he'll see. Knowing how righteous God is, I mean, he can't even have a wrong thought. The Bible teaches us that sin doesn't start with the act. It starts right here. I ain't did it yet. But I did take a second look. I mean, sort of cross-sided. I wanted to do it. I'm guilty. That's what the Bible teaches. And the reason why, again, the law. Nobody could keep the law. Because it's so perfect. The law personified or the law becoming a person is Jesus Christ. Jesus 
is the living standards of God. He's the perfect, when you see Jesus, you're seeing God's standards in person. So why did God give the law when nobody could keep it? And then say, you look, that, that used to trip me up. I used to say, how in the world? God expect me to believe that he loved me and he want to save me. Yet he write a bunch of rules that he know can't nobody keep. Do that sound like love? But what do Galatians 3.24? Galatians 3.24, I'm almost sure. Galatians 3.24 or 34. Galatians 3. Let's see. Let's go down a minute. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Let's go turn in your Bible to Galatians. I believe it's 3.24. Yeah, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. It says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. In other words, the law being a schoolmaster, in other words, when God put the law there and said, Now he, these are the standards in, in order for you to get back home. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not commit adultery, dash, all of these thou shalt not. And then when Jesus came in the fifth chapter, and Jesus came in, in, in Matthew's chapter 5, he began to explain the law a little deeper than thou shalt not. He said, you've heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say, that if you look and desire, you're guilty already. That's deeper. I could brag all day, say, well, God, I ain't like them. You know, yeah, I, I, they did it. I didn't. I wanted to, but I, I know that Ten Commandments said, I shall not commit adultery, so I didn't do it. I, they, they did it. And I've got my head up in there. I ain't like them. And then God said, but the in-depthness of that statement is it's not just what you do. It starts, the seed is planted right here. Once the seed, if we equate it again to this time of the year as far as the pregnancy and the birth. It's too late to say, uh-oh, when the seed have been planted. So once it comes to the mind, you pregnant with the sin. I know you don't know that y'all know what I'm talking about. And nobody in here ever had to say, uh-oh. <laughs> I didn't write it. God talked to us on the level that we understand. That's why he said, be ye therefore transformed. Transformed means changed. Be ye therefore transformed by the renewing of this mind. Stop thinking you're better than somebody else because you didn't do something. You wanted to do it. But God, I didn't rob a bank. Yeah, you wanted the money, but you were just scared. You're just as guilty. That's what we got to start seeing at God's way. But let's keep going. Refusing the water of shallow. I want you to turn in order to explain this verse. Let's go, go real quick to Genesis 49 and verse 10. We're not going to go into details on this. We've had it before. Everything, we again, through Jesus said, through the foolishness of preaching. 
Preaching means proclaiming repeatedly through the foolishness of saying the same thing over and over and over. He says through the foolishness of preaching, many would be saved. Everybody wouldn't be saved because some of us are going to get tired of hearing the same thing. Well, every time I go to church, I heard that sermon 15 times. It's Jesus the one said through the foolishness because he know that's we we call that foolish. Tell me something new. Well, we ain't got no yet. Jesus said through the foolishness of preaching, many would be saved. Look at 49 and 10 and, and look at the name that is given to Jesus. The context of 49 and 10 is when Jacob was an old man. He getting ready to die. They're still in Egypt. And he called his 12 sons around and he started telling them what was going to happen to them in the last days. And for Judah, his son named Judah, who produced the Jews, he said in Genesis 49 and 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Who is Shiloh? Go back to the verse we're looking at now. Refusing the water of Shiloh. It looks like a trick on words. We won't get into that, but you should be able to see the relationship of the two words, Shalom, Shalom. Other parts of the scripture, the same name will be substituted for uh, Shalom. So, but again, we, we don't have time to do all that, but I'm just trying to show you when it says they refuse the water of Shiloh, it's the same thing as saying they refuse Jesus. If you say the water of Shiloh, well, we just said water is equated to what? The word. They refuse the word of God. That's what did the king do? He would not ask for a sign. So he went to Assyria to get some help. So he refused the water of Shiloh. And notice the description says, uh, refuse the water of Shiloh that goes softly and rejoice. Instead of taking that water of Shiloh that runs uh, uh, softly, he rejoiced in Rezan and Remaliah's son. Those were the leaders of the Assyrian Empire. So instead of relaxing in God's word with the assurance that I'm with you, he went and got the assurance somewhere else, just like us. And we refuse to accept God's word on the subject, whatever it is. Well, that don't make no sense to me. Somebody said, they said if we do it, that's refusing the water slash the word of God, refusing it, and going to another place. Now, this this is shadow. We're still looking at shadow now. Hebrews 10 and 1, the things of the law. The things of the law, meaning the things that happened that is wrote in the Bible in that time period of the law. We know the law broken down, uh, I mean, God's word broken down, two basic uh, dispensations, law and grace. The things that happened in that period of time that's recognized as the law were shadows of things that would materialize under grace. That Hebrews 10 and 1, that's what, it's, that's what it's telling us. So just like we have that example of the king of Judah and his decision, 
concerning God's word versus what was offered to him. It goes the same pattern as the Garden of Eden. Instead of taking God's word that if you eat this fruit, you're going to die, another voice said, you won't die. You'll be as God's. So she ate the fruit. It's teaching us we got to be on God. Anytime you make up your mind to do right, evil is going to be there. And we have to fight against what God's word have taught us that we shouldn't do. We have to, now, when you use the word fight, I mean, why would God describe our resistance to what we're supposed to do as fighting? Why would he say in order to resist, you've got to put on armor? If it was easy. If all you had to do was just my way, I'd make up my mind. God said, in order to resist the devil and all of his temptations, you got to put on armor. We got to look at what's being said. It's like going to war. You're going to go to go to war, and you're going over there in Bermuda shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> you need a helmet and flight jacket. You need to prepare for what you got to face. That's what God is saying. What we have to face in this life, we got to dress for it. Yes. We got to prepare. I know we'll forget Miss White. She, one of the ladies, played a key role in, in my ministry. I, at that time, I didn't know it. And she was telling me things that I didn't, I didn't, and, and had never met her. And the first time I saw her, uh, I was, had a Bible class down there at East Lake Meadows. Back then, they called it Little Vietnam. And this old lady came and stood in the door. This was her first time there. I had only been teaching her, going out there speaking to the old folks. I had been maybe going two or three times. And she came and she stood there in the door. She was looking at me and I called myself. I'm trying to teach and I'm looking to the side because she's getting on my nerves. And I'm looking to the side and she's just standing there looking at me with arm folded. I said, ma'am, you can come on in and have a seat, she said. She wouldn't say nothing. And when the Bible class was over, she came up to me and she told me something. that She said God had told her she was from California. And her daughter was a professor at Emory. And she told me that God had told her she was going to meet a young preacher when she got to Georgia, and she was to take me under her wings. The reason I brought it up was she had me to come over to an apartment one day, East Lake Meadows, and she taught me, she said, you need to know how to dress yourself if you're going to be a preacher. I thought it was, I'm saying to myself, <laughs> what the lady talking about? She said, you got to know how to dress yourself. And she took the scripture, put on the whole arm of God, and she went through a ceremony. Had me stand there and go. I basically was doing it because I, you know, I was raised to respect old folks. But it began to sort of say, well, you know, she ain't crazy. But I'm just, I'm just simply saying, and, and come to find out, she was from a deep family. They, I had never heard of the word navigator before, not as it pertained to religion. Her husband was a minister. They was, they was part of the navigators, which I ain't going in that. But I, all, I'm, all I'm saying is pertaining to the scripture, we got to dress ourselves. We can't walk out there and say, yeah, I'm... I'm <laughs> We better put on that helmet. 
make sure what goes in the head, helmet of salvation, breastplate, that is close to the heart of righteousness. Fight with God's word. Which is the other Sunday, you saw me stand up here and apologize. Because the devil got next to me. When I say I ain't turning now another cheek. That's man. To fight the devil, you got to fight him the way God said do it. It don't make sense. Again, high in the world, somebody going to save me. And they coming in on a donkey and with the subtitle lamb. At least you could have been a fox or a wolf or something. A lamb can't save nobody naturally thinking. But God did not come to save us as it pertained to from death, as fighting. He didn't come like a conqueror. Now, when he come the next time, the Bible says he's going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look at the difference. Who would you like to have on your side? When we think about the way we think, I'm finna get in a fight, and I need a buddy. Would I rather have a lamb who don't even have horns? He ain't got nothing to fight with. All he can do is look and get killed. <laughs> or a lamb. Well. But it's the way God presented. Yes. We accept the lamb because salvation would be through his dying that would enable us to skip that, go back home. But it's not logical thinking. But anyway, let's keep going. They refused the water of Shiloh. Let's see what time it is. I'm working on it. <laughs> you, now, I looked over there to see what the blind clothes. That's the only thing I looked over. <laughs> but I was intending to tell you, I, that's out. That's out. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgot about it. I really did. <laughs> <Be an obedient. laughs> I, I'm about to. I'm about to. Give me a break right now. I'm about to. <laughs> I'm trying to work because I get carried away and I, don't, I, I lose sight of the time. And I'm trying to control it the best I can. Uh, but they refused to water shallow. Let's go real quick. I'm going to. Go real fast here now. Uh, for as much as this people refused the water shallow that goes softly and rejoiced and resigned and Remaliah's son. Without going into details, shallow is the name given to Jesus in Genesis 49 and 10. Spiritually, the water of shallow is the same as the water of the word in Ephesians 5 and 26. Uh, uh, an equation we talked about shadow and substance what we're studying in the Old Testament is shadow of something to come the substance of God's people refusing the waters of shallow is this verse he came to his own the water see uh, again uh, we're trying to show the pattern that God put in the book <coughs> In other words, for us to be able to understand what he's saying and see how accurate he is, the shadow 
of John. In Old Testament, it would describe his people, same people, the Jews, refused what he said. Ask me for a sign. They wouldn't do it. He said, I'm going to give you one anyway, which was the one that fulfilled itself in John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. He came. The one that was to be born of a virgin, sign would be in the heavens, Virgo, the star Spica, which is the brightest star in the constellation of Virgo. Spica means the seed. What seed? That God started talking about way back there in Genesis when he said, her seed going to destroy you, Satan. That seed. So way down, we talk about almost 4,000 years later, the angel Gabriel shows up to a virgin and says, you're going to have a child. And that holy thing that is in you, then no man put it there. See, all, all, what are we trying to do? We're trying to learn how to see the proof that God gives us that he is real and his word is true. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm just trying to rightly divide in our struggles and our study to see the same thing I'm hoping we all see. Because the more we see beyond one accord on what the Bible says, and we try to do God's business based on that mentality, the more successful we will be in God's eyesight as I believe have been from day one. That's what I believe. And when I said day one, I'm talking about the organizing of this church. You, you were there. I don't have to tell you about that. We could talk until tomorrow morning about things have happened that we didn't expect, didn't plan, didn't have no meetings, nothing. Trust in God's book. Ain't nobody went but out of meal. I had never paid tithe in my life before I believed that God had told me to organize a church. I gave church due like everybody else. I, I used to tell Rose, ain't no way we can pay tithe. We, our kids still in school. A little bit of money we were making, ain't no way we can pay tithe to pay our bills. That's what I was saying. Well. That's been 31 years ago. Hey, Mr. Mill, God said, try me and see. Will I do what I say? That's why we don't, we don't waste a whole lot of time begging. You don't want to give. Listen, if you give money here, don't give it to this church to try to, well, I'm going to help them out. Now, keep it. We don't want that. You keep it. I'm telling you, keep it. Well, I heard they've been the, Start another program or build another church. I'm going to put a building for them. We ain't got no building for them. We ain't never had one. God's word said when we give, we give it to him. Yes. He directs the way his, he wants his money to go. I know I'm, I don't know to say this, but can I get a witness? <laughs> I'm telling you. I'll tell you what. Next time you see Minister Terry, Kirkpatrick Terry. We met yesterday, he and I, and his brother, Chad, and, and his wife, to make some arrangements. 
and we messed around there and got and we we met at two o'clock. We messed around there and got to talking about God and what He have done. At a little after six, Barbara was calling to see where I was. I suppose I had when I left here. I suppose I had went by and picked us up some fish. Here is six o'clock. We get to talk, Bob. Telling you, we we, we hey, look, but let's go on. I, 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 I. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't think Lee gonna have no more trouble out of me, God. <laughs> let's go on that real quick, real quick. So he came to his own. Now, not even going to look on my paper because you know that'll hold me up. After, let's back up. I, I, I did, I put that verse there to show the fulfillment of the shadow. The shadow, Isaiah, they refused the water of Shiloh. That's the same thing as refusing God's word. God has said, ask for a sign. They didn't do it. The king, he represented the group. So I'm taking that out and going back to the same context as a result of not accepting God's word in the shadow form. It says, Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth upon, uh, up upon them the water of the river. Now you had a chance to get the water that ran softly where you could get your cool drink help you out but by you not accepting me I'm going to turn the river loose the same thing with us we got a chance, a chance now God's grace and his mercy yes we're making mistakes all the time keep going on our knees buy some more knee pads Lord please help me have mercy on me mean it fight to do right now because if we don't accept what he the water of Shiloh his word of grace that he's given to us now we're going to find ourselves being over flooded same God God said I kill and I make alive God said I created evil so you can't just say well God is love He's a man of war as well. He said, I kill and I make alive. He'll make us alive now if we accept the water, the word, water of shallow that runs softly, God's grace and mercy. He'll make us alive, born again, live forevermore. Same message, Old Testament, New Testament, shadow, substance. That's all I'm trying to show that when I talk about shouting system, the Bible shows us that. It's not a brainstorm. The Bible shows us that. So, so as a result, what happened literally? The Assyrians who Ahaz went to to try to get help from, the Assyrians, not only did they attack the northern ten tribes, that's when God divorced them, and the punishment that God put on the northern ten tribes was the attack of the Assyrians. The ten tribes was trying to wipe out the southern kingdom. God 
sent the Assyrians, wiped out, not killed, but as a people. You know, God said, I'm going to sift them all over the world. They, that's why people today don't believe in a, quote, ten lost tribe kingdom. People, Christians don't believe it. Christ, a lot of Christians believe that all of Israel was in Jerusalem when Jesus came. And they are all over there now. The Bible doesn't teach that. There's another group that once was the ten tribes. But they lost, God took away all their identity. We've had that. And sifted them all over the world. And then he made the promise, I'm going to get them back. That's where we are going as it pertains to the glory that is to follow. But let's, let's, let's finish this up. So God said, Now therefore, behold, the Lord himself bringeth up upon them the water of the river, strong and many even the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. In other words, like a river just overflowing, he's going to go over his boundaries, take all the boundaries that the northern ten tribe had, and Syria. But he wasn't going to stop. He went and attacked the southern kingdom. God allowed... A little bit of it, but that's when he went too far. We, we'll get there. He said, the king of Assyria said, I'm going to wipe them all out. Just like Hitler. Just like the Roman Empire. I'm going to get rid of all them Jews. See, anti-Semitism goes much deeper than the hatred that we're talking about. It goes much deeper. So I'm, and God, that's when God sent that angel, stopped him. God allowed him to capture the tribe of Benjamin. Two tribes made up the southern kingdom, Benjamin and Judah. God allowed Assyria to capture Benjamin and all the fenced cities of Judah and take them back to where the ten tribes was and left one tribe in the south that was the Jews. And when that king of Assyria said, I'm going to kill them, God sent one angel. Now all these Assyrian troops getting ready to wipe out the Jews. Still, they're trying to do everybody trying to wipe out the Jews today. God sent one angel, and in one night, that angel killed 186,000 Assyrian troops. Say, so You ain't going no further. I want you to go now. Now, they, he, they better in their mind. We're going to wipe them out. Just one angel. Uh, Kill 186,000 troops? You talking about kung fu fighting and juju fighting? Boy, that angel was... He was I, mean, I ain't going to say the first part. I'm going to just say that angel was taking names. You know the first part before taking names. You know how we talk. See, God, ain't nothing going to happen that God don't want to happen. That's the point. We can trust him. I know it's going to look like he ain't going to make it. But trust me, all my record proves what I say. Now, world power is going to wipe them out. God said, no, they ain't going to be wiped out. I'm with you. And what happened? So let's go on, get into the end. Going back to 8 and 6. 
the people refusing the water shallow. Now we in the substance. That was the shadow. When Jesus came, he announced to his people, I am the way. What, what was happening when Jesus came? They was under the Roman Empire. They was under the full beast of Daniel. The, of the beast that Daniel talks about, the full beast was the most ferocious beast. Read Daniel chapter 7. That beast that was never defeated. The Roman Empire was never defeated. The Roman Empire failed. It wasn't defeated. It's going to revive. It'll be out of that territory, the geographical territory of the Roman Empire, that Antichrist is going to come. He ain't through. That full beast ain't through yet. As we go forward, we're going to look at what God, how it's going to develop, even in the time period we're in. We're looking at evidence of the action of that full beast getting itself together. What, what, he said, well, he, he just trying, I ain't trying to listen. How many churches you've been to and you heard the preacher say, keep your money. If you think that's why I want you, you, you to give them, keep it. I don't want it. Don't give it. We'll get back to you. Unless you're giving it to God to support his program because you've been convinced that this is right. Anybody trying to campaign? I could care less about how you think of me as a human being. Because I got the right to think of you the same way. We can think of each other the same way. We, it ain't about us. It's about the accuracy of this book. So when Jesus came, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And what did they do? The shadow, they turned away from the water of shallow and went to the world. What happened when Jesus came to his own, the same group later on, about 600 years later on when Jesus came? What did they do? Crucify him. They went to the Roman government. Same, same thing. In other words, the shadow was a prophecy of what was going to happen, and it did happen. That's until we see it that way. Things happen the way God, God tell us the future in advance. And then we live in it. When it happened, we said, that's what God said. That convinces us as to what he said as well concerning the day of judgment that everybody's going to stand unless we accept Jesus Christ by faith and get out of here and rapture the church real quick. I got maybe, now I want, want it is the water of shallow. This is the water of shallow. Now, I don't have time to explain it. The water of shallow is is itemized in Daniel 9.24. What is Daniel 9.24 talking about? The Jews had been in Babylon for 70 years. And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, it's Daniel chapter 9 or chapter 8. I'm not sure. I'm almost sure it's 9. He went to pray to God because the 70 years was up. And he prayed to God and he said, God, I read in Jeremiah's writings that we was only supposed to be up here in Babylon 70 years. And the 70 years is up, is ending, and we're still here. And God sent the angel Gabriel to give 
Daniel to the answer of his prayer. Daniel sort of had it. Not, he didn't quite understand it, just like we. Our understanding is foggy until we continue to have God to show us in his book. God said the punishment, the reason they was in Babylon, it was a punishment. Because in Jeremiah 3 and 8, well, God gave a divorcement to the ten tribes. He wrote a bill of divorcement. Remember, he equated them to sisters, and they was his wives. He divorced one of them, Jeremiah 3 and 8. He said he didn't divorce Judah. But in Jeremiah 3 and 8, it says that Judah was guilty of the same thing that the ten tribes were guilty of. But he didn't divorce for one of them. Now, there's reasons for that. We'll get there. But by them not being divorced, they was separation took place. Now, again, I, 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 separation took place. In other words, he, we remind ourselves that when the nation of Israel split, and ten tribes went to the north, and two stayed in the south. In the south, the king, Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son, was going to go and capture the ten tribes and bring them back. And God said, don't do that. This is a me. In other words, God caused that breakup for something further down the road. Now, the, the first thing we would say, the breakup, God ain't never called no breakup. That's the way we see things. Again, we go by what's in the book. Now is at that time where we see why God broke, divorced one, scattered them all in the world. He, he, he said sift all over the world to sift them. He said, I ain't going to lose not now one of them. I'm going to fall to the ground. Now one of them going to fall to the ground. But I'm going to sift them. Look in your context of your Bible and look at the word sift and see what it says. But God said, I'm going to sift them all over, all over the world. His people all over the world. I'm going to sift them, but I ain't going to lose not one. And there's going to come a time when I'm going to get them back. Now, the reason why he divorced that ten tribe and sift them all over the Gentile world so that when that time comes for him to get them back, the way he would get them back is his word. Jesus sent his disciples first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, then to the rest of the world. And as the Gentiles, heathens, hear the word of God, that main target is that divorced one. Spiritually, it includes us as well because we became divorced from God through Adam and Eve. But God chose the nation of Israel, the whole nation of Israel, to teach divorced ones his word. In other words, everything we know about God that come out of this book is centered around Israel. Why? Everything, Israel, 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 Israel. Do God care more about them than he do us? No. It's just you could make the same equation that all of us are Christian, but in this building at this time, as it pertained to the position of pastor, you got one. The job of the one is to get the message to the group. 
God chose the nation of Israel the same way. He would get the message, his message, to the lost world through a book that's centered around Israel. Makes sense. What do you find? If you find another nation that's mentioned in the Bible, it is centered around, the mentioning of that nation is centered around their relationship with Israel, whether it's good or bad. If you talk about Babylon, why? Not because they just want to talk about Babylon, but he's talking about how Babylon was against his people. Babylon representing the world, teaching us how the world, Satan is the God of this world, how he's against all of us. And the only thing we can depend on is God's word. And how do we get God's word? The way he chose to do it through his messengers. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Satan said, you don't have to hear no preacher. God talked to me like talk to the preacher. There ain't nothing God can't do. But he chose the system. He set up the church. Hey, God. Why in the world are you, don't you know a preacher like old Gus Harris, that joker, I've been knowing him 30 years. And you expect me to hear him if I put my mark on him. You better listen. Balaam, a prophet, riding down the street on a donkey. He wouldn't hear God. God made the donkey talk. The Bible don't say donkey. The Bible say God made the ass talk to him. God calls Balaam's ass to save his life. Yes. Balaam should have said, I ain't listening. You just stay where you belong. I'm, I'm the prophet. If he hadn't listened, read it. Yes. God had showed that donkey an angel standing down there in the road with a sword just waiting. He was going to cut Balaam to mince meat. And God spoke through a donkey. If, if Balaam had said, I ain't listening to no donkey. I got my degree. I got my Ph.D., D.D., C.C., R.R. And you just old donkey ain't listening to you. He'd have been dead. God choose the way and who he wants to choose. You don't have to sit on the what. If you feel what starting here. If you feel that there is no evidence of God getting his word out here. You should not come. And don't tell nobody else to come. And if you accidentally get off the bus, thought you were somewhere else. I don't know what the bus for you is now. But I'll help you go where you want to go. I ain't trying to win nothing other than my own soul salvation through faith in this. I got to do the same thing. There ain't about no contest. Think what you want to think. I made the claim. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm through. How many people, when there wasn't no referendum, when I left Piney Grove, how many people in here right now, and some of us been together since the 70s, who was in the gospel choir, how many people, raise your hand, if I call you and say, hey, I'm thinking about organizing a church, will you, will you come? Raise your hand. It never happened. It blows my mind. It blows my mind what God have done. Just like that old woman. That old woman, I could tell you all day the things that I 
learned from that lady, and she insisted on me going a place one time. I wasn't going to go. And she took her money and bought the ticket. And next time I saw her, she said, here's your ticket. I said, I told you I, I'm not going. She said, I'm on a fixed income. And I just don't believe you'll make me throw my money away like that. I said, Miss White, I'm not going to. I'm not going to make you throw your money away. I'm going to give you the, you keep the ticket, and I'm going to give you the money for the ticket. She said, I ain't taking it. She said, the Lord told me, you got to go to this particular, it was at the Omni. I had never been to the Omni in my life. I had never rode a motor bus or a motor train in my life. First time we were with her, and it was from that ministry was the first time that I saw visuals. Visuals. The root was this old lady. I start, you know it. Started with that overhead projector. It's still up there now. All because of this old lady. And a person who I couldn't stand. And that person's wife couldn't stand me. They came to my house. Well, we at first organized the storefront, the storefront. They came to my house. And she told me sitting in my living room, she said, I, couldn't, I think you're the most arrogant person I've ever met in my life. She's sitting here right now. And I couldn't stand a husband. I don't know why I didn't like him. Hey, we talk about it all the time. I just didn't like the guy. And he came up to me one son and asked me to go out to the National Guard. All of me were three different preachers in our classroom at that time. I said, why you ask me? Ask them. He said, no, I'm asking you. Ended up going to the National Guard for the next 10 years. I'm telling you, God, not me. That is, ask them. That's two couples sitting right there. Ask them. I'm telling you. If I wasn't convinced it was God, I, hey, 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 uh, you don't know me if you think I want to be seen. I love not being seen. I don't even want to be called Reverend. I'm telling you, something happened, something happened. And a lot of us, we was in the choir together. Veronica, Jackie, uh, uh, well, Letitia knowed me. One time, Joanne was in the choir. Uh, I'm talking about you had got out for 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 before we left there. You had got out gospel choir, wasn't you? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying, the gospel choir. What I'm saying is we came up to Joanne husband, Willie, best friend I ever had in my life. We he last name was Harris too. I mean we we was we were closer than two peas in a pot. And God put us together. I'm not just talking about, I'm talking about this church. And y'all remember when I thought God had spoke to me about that building? People had come to me and gave me the keys to a building. And said, you don't even have to go to the bank. Whatever the deal we make, you can pay it. And I thought that was God. I had the keys to, I took the Bible study. We had a little storefront over there on Lakewood. To that building that night. <laughs> I was the only one excited. They were standing there. You seen that commercial about Mikey? 
All the kids looking at Mikey, because they don't want to eat what's on the table. They said, Mikey will eat anything. Give it to Mikey. All of them looking at Mikey. Everybody was looking at me. They didn't want to say, we ain't coming in this place. How do, you know how we got to, I had never heard, I had never heard of the real estate company. I had never talked to a real estate man, nothing. I had closed my body shop and opened up another body shop down on Flint River Road. And the phone rang one day. And I answered the phone. And the guy said, I want to speak to Gus Harris. And I said, speaking. I thought he wanted body work. He said, Reverend Gus Harris. I said, well, you can call me that if you want to. He said, I understand you need a church. I'm saying, what? Oh, you know you. We set up a meeting right there in this building one here, that old building. And and don't make me, don't, don't make, hey, look, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. That's why I, I'm convinced if God ain't in it now, I know he's been there. And when we needed financing, y'all know we got it under the Koreans. Three-year owner finance. That old building and the back building, $490,000. The first three years, we had to pay the Koreans a little over $1,900 a month. And all that money went on interest. At the end of four years, we still owed $490,000. Deacon... Richard Allen sitting right there. He and I went to banks after banks. They talking. They said, well, we can't. You ain't got enough giving. We can't do it. We can't. One day I had closed the building. I'm on my way home. This building wasn't here. Parked right in between. I was standing at my car. A car had pulled off of Glenwood. Pulled around. Pulled up to me and said, you, you go to this church? I said, yeah. He said, you remember? I said, yeah. He said, are you the pastor? And I said, yeah. He said, I understand you need financing. I ain't never seen this person. Only you know him. And I said, well, yeah. He reached in his coat pocket, pulled out a card, said, go call this number. And he pulled off. I went back in that building, and I called that number. It was the president of the bank. I don't even know the name of the bank no more. You sit downtown to Cater. I had never been there. I didn't know where the bank was. I called and told him. I said, a guy pulled in here and told me to call this number. And I told him who I was at a small church out here on Glenwood. We need money. I said, what kind of, what you need? I said, $490,000. A few more words were said. He said, I'll call you back in a minute. Less than 10 minutes, this guy called me back. They said, you got the loan. Wow. I didn't even know what a bank was. <laughs> Had never talked to him. Myself, Letitia, Deacon Martin. Then you go with us. We didn't even know who to look for. We asked them folks, who, 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 where is he? When that signed papers, $409,000, they ain't filled out an application. Wow. Tell me, thank God. Shoot, let me get out of here. Man, I'm telling you. Let me show you something. Last, last thing. Last thing. If we don't accept the wall of shallow, look at what's offered. First thing. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. 
to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. All this is offered from the waters of Shiloh. Now we're going to get further into that because that's spiritual and literal at the same time. We'll get further into that verse, God's willing, next week. But if we refuse the water of Shiloh, God's word, if we refuse it, here is our outcome and the last for the day. What did God say to the Jews? Because you wouldn't accept the water of Shiloh. Because you said crucify your house. What happened in 70 A.D.? The Romans, there was no, the Romans went through and wiped out the nation of Israel from the, nobody in, a, in the world could find a nation of Israel for over 17, almost 1,800 years because they refused the water of Shiloh. That's just an example that if we refuse the free invitation to come and you can have the waters of Shiloh, if we refuse it, our house going to be completely destroyed. This is what the Bible is doing. All through the Bible, same message. Thank you for your time. Let's stand. Amen. Lord, we thank you from the bottom of our heart for everything. And we can't begin to name it. We just sometimes feel that we're saying the same thing over and over. That's why we're so glad that you read our hearts. You know exactly what's on our mind. Pray that you will continue to lead and guide us. Discipline us when it's necessary. But please don't turn away from us. We're going to try as hard as we can to continue to follow the path that you've set. Knowing that you are the only way for us to get back home. And when that time comes for you to call our name and our time to answer. We pray that our faith in Jesus Christ will have caused us to be worthy to leave here and to forever be in your presence. All these things in Jesus' name we're asking.